3: By now you've probably heard the term breast is best, but why? Having a better understanding of the benefits of breastfeeding may help keep you motivated and increase your chance of success. I'm Robin Kaplan, board-certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, and host of Preggy Pals' sister show, The Boob Group. And today we're revealing the top 10 reasons to breastfeed. This
2: is Preggy Pals, episode 32. Um, is that a plus sign? Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Have you joined the Preggy Pals Club? This exclusive membership gives you access to all of our archived episodes, written transcripts of the shows, plus some bonus content after each show. Again, this is for our members only. You can access it all on the web or through our Preggy Pals app, which is available now in the Apple and Amazon marketplace. You can visit our website, preggypals.com, for more information. And we have one final announcement, and that is to tell you the winner of the Preggy Pals newsletter giveaway. Now, this is a giveaway that we've been running for the last couple months, and it's our way of saying thank you to all of our newsletter subscribers. One lucky winner is going to win in parenting and pregnancy prizes. They're also going to win a one-year subscription to the Preggy Pals Club, which is really exciting. So here we go. So the winner is crystal job of maryland so crystal thank you so much for subscribing to our newsletter and if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter yet well now is the time because starting in january we are going to pull another winner at random each month those winners are going to get a free one month subscription to the preggy pals club so if you want more information on that you can head on over to our website and sign up Okay, we have two panelists joining us here. One is in the studio and one is over the phone, but you know both of them because they are regular panelists on the show. Let's start with Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie Sawfeld. I am 29, a gemologist, due January 9th um, with my first baby, a girl, and we are having hospital birth. And those cute little cooing noises in the background is from Christine Stewart Fitzgerald and her baby, Michaela. Um, Christine has been a regular panelist on the show, and she just gave birth to Michaela. So, Christine, this is the first time our um, listeners have heard from you since having the baby. So how did things go? Um,
4: Yes. Well, surprisingly, very swimmingly well. um, She was two weeks uh, late. She didn't want to come out. She was just, you know, having a good old time. And so we, we had to do a little bit of coaxing and um, I uh, delivered at the local hospital with a great team of midwives. Um, and thankfully, we were able to, you know, buy a little bit of extra time so we didn't have to do an induction. We just used natural methods and, you um, had a really fast labor, and uh, it was a VBAC, so I'm just really thrilled.
2: And we should also say, though, that um, you have twins as well. So now you've got three girls total, um, which I think plays into our topic quite well today and talking about reasons to breastfeed because, Christine, I feel like you've kind of experienced a lot of different things, having breastfed twins and now a singleton. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So having said that, um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Before we start today's show, here's Dr. Danny Singley with tips on becoming a new dad.
1: Hi, preggy Pals. My name is Dr. Daniel Singley. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in men's issues and founder of Basic Training for New Dads. Let's take a couple minutes to focus on how expectant couples can approach the process of birth planning. People approach birth in very different ways, and there's no one-size-fits-all approach that will work for everyone. Many expecting couples choose to develop a plan for how they want to handle the period from immediately prior to the birth through the point at which they leave the hospital or birthing center. The point of a birth plan is to have a roadmap regarding your preferences for the process of having your child. Keep it simple. One page of info is plenty, so no need to pick out the linen in your delivery room. Common considerations include whether to have a vaginal birth versus a C-section, pain management options, what medications and immunizations to have administered to the baby and to mom, and whether mom should be uptown by mom's head or alternately downtown. The list of considerations will be unique to any couple, but you can access a list of key questions and templates at the birth plan page of the American Pregnancy Association's website. Childbirth.com and The Bump are other examples of online resources that offer free customizable templates to help you guide the planning process, so take a look at those examples. Because dads often aren't sure how to be involved in the planning and birth process, having him take point on identifying a template and charting information about the plan is a great way to get him to understand he's integral to the pregnancy and birth process. Finally, it's critical that once you and your partner have developed a plan with which you're comfortable, you also need to be flexible if the plan needs to change during the actual birth process. Even more importantly, you, your partner, and your healthcare provider need to have discussed what plans A, B, and C might look like. So if you're completely against an epidural, a spinal block, a C-section, specific vaccinations, or other types of procedures, rather than simply ignore the possibility that you might need to use one of them, It's critically important that you and your partner have discussed how you would handle this type of option should it come up. The last thing you want to do during the birth of your child is try to hash out this decision on the fly. Thanks very much for listening. I hope this information is helpful. I'm Dr. Daniel Singley at NewDadsClass.com and be sure to keep listening to Preggy Pals for more tips on how new dads can hit the ground running in their transition to fatherhood.
2: Today we're exploring the top 10 reasons to breastfeed and joining us here in the studio is Robin Kaplan. She's a board certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center and she is host of our sister show, The Boob Group. Hi, Robin. Hi, Sunny. Hi. So I have a question about society and how breastfeeding has changed over the years. Um, My mom, when she talks about breastfeeding, I feel like there was a phase where everyone was really pushing for formula, you know, and, you know, pushing away from breastfeeding and now think that we've transitioned, or at least are in the process of transitioning into a more breastfeeding friendly, you know, stage and really pushing breastfeeding. Is that what's really happening? Or is it just my little community here of people that? No, I think that's absolutely happening. Um, People who, women who um, are
3: our age and, you know, late 20s, early 30s, or for me, mid to upper 30s, (laughs) (laughs) um, definitely our moms were Told by their pediatricians and their obstetricians that formula was just as equally beneficial as breast milk. Um, and that's kind of what they knew at the time. And so, you know, we can't hold it against our moms at all. But, you know, I know of my mom, for example, um, breastfed me till I was six weeks old and then was told by her, by my pediatrician, that she was killing me because I had a lot of gas and stuff like that. So I was immediately taken off breast milk and given formula. And then my brother, my mom had this great milk supply with him a couple of years later, and her doctor, pedi- same pediatrician, said that she was overfeeding him, and she had to limit the amount he was getting, and then he ended up being failure to thrive and put in the hospital. And wow. so then, again, well, formula's better. That'll keep your kid growing. And, so, and both of us actually have some pretty severe allergies and things like that, which I think has to go along with the fact that our guts just didn't progress the way that they needed to because they didn't have that live bacteria and things like that, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes. Um, and so now I think so many studies have come out about how breast milk is far superior to formula. And granted, I'm not a person who's going to sit here and bash formula in right. any way. Right. However, when you're comparing the two, it is important to know that if you do have a choice and you want to make the choice between breastfeeding and formula feeding your baby, that breastfeeding, it, breast milk is far superior. Right. And that's just because it's alive. Right. And so, you know, formulas, they're always trying to make it as good as... Um, breast milk but it's just not possible right so it it is a substitute Um, and so I think a lot of people now are realizing that there are so many benefits there's so much research coming out about this I think that's why there's more people on the breastfeeding bandwagon right now yeah
2: yeah do you find yourself as a lactation consultant having to still convince people that breast is best or are you past that? By the time they get to you are they already convinced that By that's the time way to they know? get to me they're pretty convinced although yeah. I do
3: teach a lot of prenatal breastfeeding classes yeah. and I think that there are a lot of misconceptions that I'm happy to kind of share information with to kind yeah. of dissuade and kind of let people understand what that they are misconceptions um but they're i don't necessarily think i have to convince them but maybe i just have to help them understand that maybe it's not as challenging as they've heard or how scary it is i think a lot of people are scared to breastfeed right they know that they want to do it um But they're very scared to do it. So I think that's,
2: it's not convincing to breastfeed. It's how to make them more comfortable with the process. Right, right. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about those misconceptions and our special bonus content after the show. So now let's dive into some of the top 10 reasons to breastfeed. Um, Let's start with the first one. It's the perfect food for baby. Why is that? Well, again, you know, we're talking
3: about a substance that is created specifically for us as human beings. And so cow dairy is created for baby cows, right? Um, human milk is created for human babies. And so that first milk that you get that colostrum is low in fat, high in carbohydrates, protein, antibodies, things like that to help keep your baby healthy. And it's also very, very easy to digest, um, which is really important for those little newborns. And so and also, you know, babies are born with this really um, thick, like thick tar like substance called meconium, which Um, is essentially the packing equipment to make sure that their organs don't stick together while (laughs) uh, while they're in utero and that has to be passed out Um, and so colostrum is almost like a diuretic because it's so easily digestible and helps push it out of the system and so babies who are not able to pass that meconium can get jaundice can get you know and people get doctors get really freaked out when babies get really high jaundice levels high bilirubin levels and so the colostrum is meant to get rid of that and then colostrum is also gestationally Specific, as well as breast milk as well. So if your baby is born at 32 weeks, That breast milk is gestationally specific for your baby as well as baby like with Christine's that was a 42 weeker That milk was specific for her baby as well and continues along the life of your baby your infant your toddler However long you decide to breastfeed for it's specific for how old they are and so it's giving them everything that they need Um, And then obviously as the baby gets older They start taking in more complementary foods and things like that over about six months old But essentially your breast milk is growing with your baby and so it's easier to digest it's it's just it's perfect for them and it really helps kind of coat their guts and which we'll talk about you know yeah. protecting
2: against disease right. but um essentially it it nothing man made can can replicate it. It's kind of like, you know, when you look at the formula packages and stuff like that, you see, okay, this is for newborns, and this is for when you graduate, you know, to like a toddler thing. And it's kind of like your body's natural way of just saying, hey, I know what my baby needs. You know, your body's naturally upgrading as you would, you know, if you were purchasing formula or something like that. But it's just your body naturally doing it. Absolutely. So is each woman's breast milk
3: different? It's not too different. So for example, women who donate milk to other moms who are not right. making enough. You don't have to look, you know, a mom who's donating milk and has an eight month old and the baby she's donating to is a two month old. That's still OK, because essentially there's not that much of a change between breast milk composition as once you get past kind of that transitional milk into the more fuller milk after the first couple weeks. And so it's just that the baby's needs often change after about six months, seventh months and eight months. And that's why we introduce complementary foods. It's not that the milk is not perfect for that baby. It's just that the nutritional need of the baby starts to change a little bit at that time. But from mom to mom, some moms have a higher uh, fat content than other moms, but the variation is very minimal. So pretty much every woman's milk is kind of doing the same thing, you know, regardless. And even based on women who have different nutrition you know so women who live in third world countries their milk is not going to be less nutrient dense because of the food that they're eating so
2: i didn't know if it was just like a unique brew for you know, <laughs> each individual I baby so this is the
3: tap yeah, i totally, <laughs> get it oh i totally <laughs> call it that all the time and i'm like they're either taking it straight from the tap or they're taking from another container but yeah but no it's pretty it's it's overall pretty
2: much the same between women that's a great question. So if my baby has, like, low iron or something like that, would my body produce, like, higher iron in my milk to compensate that? Is it that specific? Or you're saying no. It's more about the gestational age of the child. It's and- more
3: about the gestational age. Okay. And it, it, plus it would be hard for your body to know what your child is nutrient deficient right. in. However, you know, babies are born. We, we talked about this on one of the boob group episodes. that babies are born with, you know, sufficient iron stores, for example, right. until they're a certain age. Um, And then they start needing more um, iron-rich foods, for example. And that's kind of when that six months to eight months kind of introducing solid foods Mm -hmm. at that time is is – is there for a reason it's because right. then all of a sudden it's like okay we need a, a
2: little bit more yeah in there and yep. that's a perfect time to start introducing whole foods yeah actually we're doing that right now urban just turned six months a few ah, days ago awesome. and so um we had the green beans last night for lunch or dinner actually awesome. and he gave me a lot of weird faces but i'm like <laughs> you need this you need these nutrients i'm still feeding you everything i can but you need this too that's so awesome. okay so let's talk about protecting against disease for the baby
3: yeah and this one is huge and you you know, again, when we talk about the comparison between formula and breast milk. So formula obviously has fats, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals, all that kind of stuff. Immunological properties, there they are just no way to replace that in formula. That The only way you're going to get those is through breast milk. And so, and that's because the mom's body We're constantly breathing in different pathogens in our environment. And so, and then our immune system creates immunity against us. So that way, you know, every time someone coughs around us, we don't get sick. So we start creating these antigens, these things that fight away infection. They are then passed through the breast milk to the baby. So the baby is not only creating their own kind of immune system going on in their belly, but they're also getting an extra dose of it with every drop of breast milk that they get to help protect them from things that are going on in their environment. Um, And not only that, but that that also includes, for example, they're going to have less gastrointestinal infections, so less diarrhea. They're going to have less risks of food allergies, um, less risks of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis as an adult. Um, You know, they often get they have less wheezing, less asthma, things like that. Um, because again, their bodies are fighting off these things in the environment, um, less eczema, less respiratory infections, tons and tons and tons of stuff. And then something you had mentioned, Sunny, when we were talking with, you know, as Christine, because you have breastfed girls, and you have now three girls in your home. The amazing, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> the the amazing thing with that is um, when you're breastfeeding them is that Women who are formula fed as infants have a higher rate of breast cancer as an adult. So while you are not only wow. helping decrease your risk of breast cancer, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you are actually decreasing the risk for your daughters. And so um, women who both, you know, for both premenopausal and postmenopausal breast cancer... Women who are breastfed as children, even if only for a short time, had 25% lower risk of developing breast cancer than women who were um, formula-fed as infants. So you are providing them something that they would not be able to get anywhere else and, you know, just decreasing their risk of developing it, which is fascinating.
4: No, I had no idea. Now I can certainly say I I breastfed my twins for 14 months. And um, thankfully, they did not have any kind of food allergies. They didn't have any... You know, digestion problems, or and just you know a few little colds that first year. So I definitely believe that that had a lot to do with it. But um, gosh, I have to say I didn't even think there were, you know, the long term um effects as you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah, and the
3: interesting thing too is that you know babies. What I find, and I found with my own kids, and what I hear from my colleagues and friends, is that the you know once they stop breastfeeding their babies, they see a higher incidence of. Ear infections, colds, things like that. And again, it's not, you know, super significant, but, they, you know, you might see an increase in these little childhood, you know, colds and illnesses after the breast milk stops. And that's pretty much because babies who are being breastfed or toddlers who are being breastfed um, tend to get less sick, you know, or to a lesser degree, I should say. So if everyone in the house catches, the, you know, the flu, or just a really bad cold. The breastfed baby or toddler tends to get it to a lesser degree, which is really cool. But then once they're not breastfeeding anymore, then they're kind of in the same same realm as
2: everybody else. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to clarify, though. So if that is the case, then some people listening may be like, well, what's the point? I'm really just prolonging this. They may get it eventually anyway. So what would be your response to that? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, the
3: less infections you have as a child, that means, you know, less antibiotics, That's huge. I mean, the amount of antibiotics that children are given at this time because of ear infections or other things. You know, antibiotics obviously were created for a reason. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they're given somewhat unnecessarily, and they just compromise your immune system. And so, you know, the less sick that you get as an infant and a toddler and, you know, a child um, is obviously creating a stronger immune system for you as in an adulthood and right. so that would be you know the main reason to continue it for as long as you find you know mutually
2: beneficial for you and the baby. Okay and that kind of leads into our next point health benefits for the baby so we know it protects against disease we know it's the, the perfect baby food but what are some of the additional health benefits? for Sure
3: baby? sure well you know it one one thing that I didn't even know about until I was kind of looking into this was that breastfeeding actually protects babies against vision defects and that's because breast milk is generally the main if not the only source of vitamin A during the child's first you know 24 months of life or for the duration of breastfeeding. Um, It also the suckling at breast is really good for tooth and jaw development and um, that's because babies who are breastfeeding actually have to use as much as 60 times more energy to get the food out of the breast. (laughs) And sometimes they don't like that by the way. (laughs) Yes they don't but if they're used to it it, you know they're nothing to compare it to it's not a big of a deal. Right. But um, so what that does is it helps um, their jaw and muscle development and um, encourages the growth of well-formed jaws and straight, healthy teeth. So I thought that was really interesting is really for interesting. all of us who need braces, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And um, and then the main one that's so, so important that, you know, we hear about a lot is that it really protects against SIDS. And so um, a recent German study of about over 300 infants who had died from sudden infant death syndrome. They were compared with 1,000 age-matched controls and found that breastfeeding reduced the risk of SIDS by 50%. Why is that?
2: Why would that impact it? Well, Because we don't know really what causes SIDS, right? We don't really know what
3: causes SIDS. Um, and to be honest, I can't really answer that question. I mean, I don't yeah. know the specifics of the study and why they think that. But just from my perception... Mm-hmm. Babies who are breastfeeding wake up more in the middle of the night, hmm. um, because formula keeps them satiated longer, uh-huh. and so oftentimes, right. and so um, so babies need to wake up in the middle of the night. As much as we would love for them to sleep <laughs> through the night, starting at two weeks, that's not developmentally appropriate for our children, and yeah. so breastfeeding they're waking up a little a little bit more not too much right. um but they're also not in that deep deep sound sleep and then oftentimes babies who are being breastfed there there's some co-sleeping going on or they're in the same room because it's more convenient for the parents Right. and you know as mothers we're really in tune to our kids and so if they make any type of noise we are immediately awake and right. i've read
2: that i mean just the the skin to skin part and the baby um Hearing mom's heartbeat and all of that somehow correlates with it the It does. Ne- it too.
3: neurologically centers them and really, you know, when babies are first born and they're put skin to skin, they, it regulates their oxygen level, it regulates their temperature, um, and again, just gets them into this mode of, okay, I'm now out of this warm, liquid, <laughs> dark place. And, um,
2: and so they're more aware of their environment and we're more aware of them too. Yeah, and I think that even leads into our next one, which is improves women's health. And I know that for me, even just mentally just connecting with my son and breastfeeding calms me. And I know we're going to talk about some of the more long term benefits, Mm -hmm. but even just short term for me. And and I think I've talked about this in a recent uh, Preggy Pals episode is that when I'm nursing my son, I feel a sense of Calmness, you know, I, I'm able to reconnect, and and things make more sense. And I realize all the little things that I'm doing in my day to day life aren't nearly as important as just refocusing on my family. And it's a sense of peace and calmness that I can't get from taking a bubble bath, and I can't take from a massage. Um, it just it reconnects me as a mom. And and I know there are some other health benefits. Absolutely.
3: Well, actually, if you don't mind, maybe yeah. we'll skip to more of the, the promoting the mother and infant bonding and emotional well-being and we can get back to the the women's health because you know you bring you both bring up a very good point of this sense of relaxation and that's because breastfeeding stimulates the release of a hormone called oxytocin and what that is is not only does it you know stimulate uterine contractions which we'll talk about in mother's health and things like that but it also promotes the development of maternal behavior and bonding I mean, oxytocin is the love hormone. So it's what <laughs> we have when we have orgasms. Yeah. I mean, it's, you are supposed to relax when oxytocin is released and it's passed through the breast milk to the baby too. So that's why so many babies fall asleep at the breast because huh. they're just like, my God, I'm laying on this pillow, it's warm, <laughs> it smells good, it's feeding me and I'm now, you know, it's they've eaten a big turkey dinner essentially, know, you know, right? and they're like, and I'm done and they fall asleep and, and it's because it, it's supposed to happen that
2: way we're actually supposed to love breastfeeding yeah that's great and some of the the things that it helps mom overall some of the the ways it improves women's
3: health women's health so this is huge um i mean so again going back to that oxytocin so after we've had our child we need our uterus to shrink so it, and to contract so that we won't hemorrhage. And that's what oxytocin does. And so it literally, it the contractions, they shut off the maternal um, blood vessels that formerly fed the baby and discourage this excessive bleeding. And so um, women who choose not to breastfeed um, have to be given synthet- synthetic oxytocin to ensure against hemorrhaging. Nursing obviously helps you regain your figure a little bit more quickly because it does help contract the uterus. And so not that many of us are, walking around with the tightest tummies that we had before <laughs> actually I never even had a tight tummy before I had kids but um you know yeah sure it's a little bit more flabby but whatever so a couple other cool things um so for example women who have diabetes um it in breastfeeding you often need a, a reduction in insulin um because it's you know it's it's using insulin appropriately okay. when you're breastfeeding. Um, Women who are anemic um, often find that they don't need to take as many iron supplements while they're breastfeeding because, especially if you're exclusively breastfeeding, and that's because um, women it, it kind of holds off your period, and so we're not being depleted every month by this bleeding. Um, and then the huge ones, you know, going back to cancer, um, so it reduces the risk of breast cancer again, you know, developing for. Um, as much as 20 by reducing it by as much as 25%. Um, and then it also, the reduction in cancer risk comes in proportion to the cumulative lifetime that a woman breastfeeds. So it's not just how many months that you breastfed each child but it's cumulative so you get to add those months on top of one another so christine you had 14 months with your twins and now you're going to add more mm-hmm. with your singleton and so um you get 14 plus and then whatever you do mm-hmm. with michaela that is going to also lower your <laughs> risk of breast cancer as well as it reduces the risk of a woman's uter- uh, chances for uterine and ovarian cancer so again just Amazing, amazing benefits for both mom and baby um, when you breastfeed. You
4: know, I have to say that I can totally attest to um, the idea of of breastfeeding um, during that postpartum period. It has that healing effect. Um, When I'm breastfeeding, I feel my uterus tightening. And I feel like my body is just, it's really going back into shape. In fact, I'm actually able to wear some of my regular clothes, which is great. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm you know, getting back there. And even my husband's been making comments.
2: Okay. Thanks so much, ladies. When we come back, we're going to wrap up our top 10 list. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking about the top ten reasons to breastfeed. And joining us today as our special expert is Robin Kaplan. She is a board-certified lactation consultant, owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, and you may know her if you listen to our sister show, The Boob Group, because she is the host of that show. So we are breaking down this top ten list. And um, one of the things we briefly mentioned, but I want to talk on it, you know, talk about it a little bit more, is um, one of the benefits is quicker weight loss for Absolutely. moms. And, you know, you hear this all the time. You hear women say, oh, I breastfed and all my weight just kind of fell off. And I'm really curious to get your take on this Mm -hmm. because I have two totally different experiences with both of my kids. So what is the general, you know, I guess, information about losing weight and breastfeeding?
3: And, you know, you bring up a really good point.
2: Yes, breastfeeding does help
3: you lose weight. Um, You know, you burn an average of 300 to 500 extra calories a day while you're breastfeeding. Exclusively breastfeeding yep and as you start to kind of taper off um you're you know you're creating a little bit less milk and so you are burning a little less calories but essentially you you are burning calories your body is functioning to feed another human being right so um so you are burning these calories however it's important to note that you don't want to just take that as a way of like very 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 quick weight loss because um your body actually needs those extra calories to produce milk and so my recommendation for moms who are looking to get back into their you know pre-pregnancy genes and all that kind of stuff um a couple tips one it's a safe way to do this is really you know a pound a week is totally safe um more than a pound except for I should give a little caveat there in the beginning you know Obviously, you don't lose that much weight right after you have the baby because you're kind of, you have a lot of fluids and you're kind of puffy and stuff. But, you know, in the first two weeks, women will see that they, they af- actually lose more than a pound per week. But right. then once, once you know, that initial drastic weight loss has
2: stopped, um, really about a pound a week is totally appropriate. Um, another thing that I know that breastfeeding helps with what part of our top 10 list is reduces obesity in children and teens, which is a huge problem here, especially in the US. Absolutely. It's actually more
3: breastfeeding than breast milk on this one. Um, And the reason is because infants who are breastfed more than formula fed, or who are breastfeeding for longer periods of time, they do have about a 20% lower risk of being overweight as a preteen or in the teen years. And the reason is because when babies are are breastfed, so they're at the breast, they rely on their own hunger signals to modulate what they consume. Well, that's not the case when a baby is taking a bottle. They just have less control over how much they eat. And the other thing is, um, not only because the bottle is so much easier, like we had talked about, um, but also our breasts don't come with notches on it. So we don't know how many ounces the baby is taking from the breast. So, But when we have a bottle and we're like, well, you're supposed to take 4 to 5 ounces and And so, you're going to finish this bottle because I poured it for you. And so, oftentimes, we overfeed our babies because we want them to take whatever we made and we put in there for them. And so, um, because of this, children often lose
2: touch with their innate hunger cues and develop this pattern of overeating. Okay. So, in the first segment, we talked about mother baby bonding. Um, But let's talk a little bit about the partners because I feel like a lot of times they're neglected. And I know this is an opportunity for them to bond as well. Yeah. When I teach
3: my prenatal classes, a lot of the concerns that come up from the partners is well how am I going to be involved like this is clearly a mom baby bonding situation and I'm afraid that I'm gonna feel left out and um, it's a very very valid point that they bring up Um, but I also like to kind of turn it around and say well mom and baby are gonna be sitting on the couch in bed relaxing wherever they're breastfeeding for about 45 minutes eight or more times in a 24-hour period for the first couple weeks This is your opportunity to reconnect with your partner. So sitting next to your partner. Your partner does not want, your the mom does not want to sit by herself during all this time. Yes, she's bonding with her baby, but she also wants to have some adult conversation too. And so using this already built in time to sit down, reconnect, get to know your new family unit as it is now. You know, it's not just you and partner, it's you partner and baby or babies or in you know, children as well. And um, so spending that time with your partner and reconnecting and also for the partner to really Really kind of learn the baby's signals, too. So that way, you know, the partner can help keep the baby awake while the baby's feeding in those first couple of weeks. So rubbing the palms, rubbing the baby's back, rubbing the mom's shoulders, because a lot of women um, tend to breastfeed with their shoulders up to their ears. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, um, and they need to, you know, some help to kind of relax their body. And partners can do lots of skin-to-skin before and after feedings. So there is nothing like smelling a brand-new baby on your chest. And, again, (laughs) it kind of goes back to um, what you had mentioned about skin-to-skin, you know, being so important for the baby. And so – Mom's not the only person who has the
2: opportunity to do that. One of the reasons that a lot of us are interested in breastfeeding is more convenient and it is less expensive. Absolutely. So breast milk in any supply is free,
3: <laughs> and so it's there. It's ready for the taking. It is always the right temperature. Yeah. Um, and ready-made formulas can cost families eight hundred to eighteen hundred dollars per child annually. Yeah. So that's just oh, yeah. a lot of money. Um, and then breastfed babies are also you know, they get less sick, you know, they're not as sick as often. So think about the amount of money that you are saving in doctor's bills, no matter how good your insurance is, you still have to pay for it. And the time away from work, if you're a working mom, the time you have to take off to take care of sick children, um, definitely adds up. Okay, and the last one is it expands your social circle. So how does it do that, Robin? Oh, totally. I mean, I have a breastfeeding support group that I run here in San Diego every Wednesday. And I have... Pretty much 20 to 25 moms who come every week. I'd say about 75% of them are not having breastfeeding challenges, but they come (laughs) to hang out with other moms that they've met who are also breastfeeding their children. And so um, it's just... It's an awesome way to see women connect. And they don't just sit there and talk about breastfeeding. They talk about all things parenting, um, all the different things that they're going through. But it's a common bond between them, not only as being a parent of children around the same age, but also, you know, the different things that come with breastfeeding, different questions that they have. And then the great thing about a support group, too, is that it's a great place to practice, you know, breastfeeding in semi-public, like you're public Mm -hmm. because there are other women around, but other people around, but you're not necessarily in a restaurant. So it's a great place to practice um, breastfeeding and getting more comfortable with it. Um,
2: but it definitely expands your social circle. I All mean. right. Well thank you, Robin, for You're being welcome. here today and breaking down our top ten list for us. If you want more great breastfeeding conversations, be sure to check out our sister show, the Boob Group. And also our discussion today, it's not quite over, at least not for our members. If you would like to listen to our extended interview with Miss Robin, simply join the Preggy Pals Club. You can visit preggypals.com for more information.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
4: Hey, my name is Heidi and I'm calling from Chicago. I'm
0: hoping that one of your experts can talk a bit about delayed cord clamping. My husband and I are planning to give birth at a hospital, and my ob is pretty traditional when it comes to the whole labor and delivery process. They're not sold on the idea of waiting to cut the cord, and I've heard that there are a lot of benefits to doing this. Can you talk about the benefits and any risks that I should be concerned about?
2: Thank you so much. Nicole, here is a response from our doula, Care Master.
0: Hi, Nicole. Um, early cord clamping is... There's a lot of information on it, so I'm going to try and summarize it for you. Um, It's relatively new. It's from the 1940s. Um, It's practiced in only a few countries, but it's standard practice here in America. Um, Studies show that half of your baby's blood volume remains in the placenta at the time of birth. And think about it as nature's way of slowly transitioning your baby into breathing and surviving on its own outside the womb your baby is still getting oxygen through the cord while it's working on taking its first breath. Um, Adequate blood volume is needed to perfuse the lungs, gut, kidneys, skin, and the blood transfusion from the placenta, it's known as placental transfusion, is very important. Especially in preterm infants, research has shown it can decrease the need for blood transfusions and possible brain injury. Um, Gravity does affect the transfer of blood. The optimal transition for this is baby right on mom's chest, Until that cord um, pulsation stops, it lets you know that the transfer is complete, and the process usually takes three minutes, might be a little longer, and it can also complete in one minute. It just varies from baby to baby. The risks are believed to be an increase in jaundice and the fear that the blood will drain back out of the baby if the cord is not clamped, and jaundice is almost certain when a baby gets his or her full quota of blood. There is, however, no evidence in adverse effects from this mild jaundice. Most human babies have some form of jaundice. Where the babies lifted above the uterus before clamping, like in a cesarean, blood will drain back into the placenta by gravity, guaranteeing these babies are receiving definitely less than their expected blood volume. The consequence of this may be an increased risk in breathing or respiratory distress, and several studies have shown that this respiratory distress condition, which is common in C-section babies, um, can be completely eliminated when placental full placental transfusion is allowed. Um, studies also show that delayed cord clamping can increase fetal hemoglobin, baby's blood volume, and increases the long-term iron stores in babies, so it's really good for them. The most basic argument for placental transfusion or delayed cord clamping is if it were essentially injurious or detrimental to us, then humans would have become extinct long before the invention of the clamping of the cord. Leaving the cord alone has just been done since time began. It's done all over the world, and everybody's still here. Um, you can learn more about the studies and new findings on delayed cord clamping from watching a short four-part series on YouTube called Delayed Cord Clamping Grand Rounds with Dr. Nick Fogelson or checking out a site, there are several sites, but one called brainbirth-brain-injury.org. There's some great illustrations and diagrams to explore on that site. Um, I hope that helps. There's a lot of information out there, so good luck in making your decision. Bye. Bye.
2: That wraps up our show for today. If you have any questions for the experts who have been on our shows, please call the Preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-4775 and leave us a message. We'll ask our experts and include their response and your response as well in a future episode. Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way.
3: This has been a new mommy media production. and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.